0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, China launches a complaint over Justin Trudeau's comments about coercive diplomacy.
1: We're going to continue uh, to work with fellow like-minded nations around the world to impress upon uh, China that uh, its approach to uh, internal affairs and global affairs uh, is not on a particularly productive path for itself or for all of us.
0: If the provinces need more money to deal with COVID contact tracing, the Prime Minister says all they need to do is ask. We have 2,750 contact tracers and over 600
2: can interviewers currently in the field to help track, trace, and isolate cases.
0: And over $110,000 in public dollars is spent on legal fees in response to claims of harassment at Rideau Hall.
2: This seems to have been a poor choice on the part of the Liberal government. It was another shiny object where they chose somebody who was clearly not suited for this role.
0: It's Thursday, October the 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist, John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. Let's talk about China's response to Justin Trudeau's comments the other day that uh, that we won't give in to coercive diplomacy. What did you think of China's reaction and of Trudeau's original comments and what this means for Canada-China relations and for the two Canadians who are being detained in China?
2: Well, I don't think the response from China was particularly surprising. I mean, it's it's consistent with everything else they've said in that they blamed Canada entirely, um, called the government hypocritical and weak and said only the release of uh, Meng Wanzhou would be enough to reset the relationship. That's pretty constant and consistent with what they've said before. I think what has changed is the tone of... Uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, approach to China, talking about this coercive uh, diplomacy that that China's been engaged in. You've seen it with other ministers. Harjit Sejan last week, the defence minister, talked about hostage diplomacy in relation to the the two Michaels. And I think this is part of a wider move by the the Trudeau government to uh, uh, reset the relationship. And I think that's partly to do with domestic politics. Aaron O'Toole was elected as the Conservative leader in part because he has this very strong policy on China. He wants to see more sanctions against Chinese officials, a firmer line, a whole range of areas that that, uh, the current government is not following. I mean, the, the, the government's line pretty much is patient international pressure to see the release of the two Michaels. Well, clearly that has not has not worked, and I think that the Canadian people are far ahead of where the Liberal government is in far, in, in relation to uh, how it views China. So I think what we're seeing now is this uh, uh, a, a reset in the, the Trudeau government's framework. In fact, there is an, a, an actual framework being devised at Foreign Affairs, which will be released in the next few weeks, and I think it will be. Uh, I mean, I've talked to people who said the red lines will be clearer. I don't think we're going to see a massive change, for example, in the, our position of Taiwan. I mean, somebody said to me, the regional realities will dictate how we how we view Taiwan. But I do think that there there will be a firmer line and there will be more concerted action with our allies, UK, New Zealand, Australia. And we're already starting to see that. They're putting out common policy statements condemning what's happening in
0: China. So it's not just uh, a change in messaging to to kind of... Uh, respond to what Aaron O'Toole is doing domestically. It's it's also a change in approach going forward.
2: Yeah, I think we might actually even see changes in in, in actual policy. I mean, as it was put to me, China has changed, the world has changed, ergo our foreign policy to China must adapt. And it's not entirely clear what that what that means, but we've we have seen hints of it. Hong Kong, for example, you know, we know that the British government is going to take citizens of Hong Kong who were born before 1997, before the handover, uh, and they will have some form of access to a a British passport. Uh, So that leaves people in Hong Kong born after 1997, and the suggestion is that Canada, Australia, and New Zealand could somehow provide a a passport or a pathway to residency for those people. So I think some of this stuff is still, still not uh, clear how it's going to come out. You know, we saw, for example, the Investment Canada Act was toughened during the COVID era because of the idea that um, some foreign investments might take advantage of COVID to buy up Canadian companies. State-owned companies in China might buy up on the cheap. The default position at the moment is to reject that investment. Now, that was seen as a temporary measure, but it may well be that that becomes permanent. So these are the types of things that I think we could actually see a firmer line from the, from the the in the messaging from the Trudeau government translate into policy.
0: All right, let's turn to the coronavirus pandemic and how the government is managing that. It appears the new rent relief program won't help struggling businesses until next month. At least that's what some business groups are saying. Then there is the issue of whether provinces need more money for things like contact tracing. And yesterday the Prime Minister said if they need more money... All they have to do is ask. Uh, just give us your sense of, of what that means and where the government stands in continuing to address what in many parts of the country is a second wave.
2: Well, here I think that the So we're going to, today we're going to see Trudeau uh, talking to the premiers again. I think this is their, their 20th meeting of the of, during the pandemic, or virtual meeting at least. The government has already indicated that, it, that there is money available for um, contact tracing, for for testing, really whatever the, the provinces feel that they need to to bolster. But I think the end game, and the one that is going to be really controversial, is the fact that the, the government, the federal government, wants to push the provincial premiers to work towards harmonised norms for long term care homes. Now that is an area clearly of provincial res- jurisdiction. I don't imagine that the, any of the provinces want to give the federal government free reign in that area. In fact, um, Quebec Premier Francois Legault has already said that uh, Trudeau is playing with fire if he, if he thinks he's going to dictate standards for, for the provinces. But this is what the, the federal government does. It comes with its checkbook and says, well, we want to see some kind of standardisation and you will get the money if you agree to that standardisation. You know, we've seen this in various areas in the past, including other areas of health care. I think this is going to be a a bit of a fight for the government. But if the provinces need money for uh, to uh, take measures that they've already identified in long-term he- health care, uh, then maybe they just say, yeah, we'll do whatever you want and, and take the money. So it remains to be seen how that goes. I suspect that Quebec, at least, and probably Alberta too, we'll say, yeah, we'll take your money, but we're not complying with whatever standards you want to impose on us.
0: Right. All right. Finally, uh, let's talk about the story that was reported that more than $110,000 has been spent on legal fees in response to claims of harassment at Rideau Hall. Uh, Rideau Hall did issue a statement from the Governor-General last night talking about the requirement for the governor to the governor general to receive constitutional advice and and to ensure that there were no conflicts of interest and there were uh, there's no in-house legal counsel so they had to retain outside help. Uh, it, this is just one more story in in a series of stories about what's been going on at Rideau Hall under the tenure of Governor General Julie Payette. Uh, what do you make of this development?
2: Well, I guess if the governor general needs uh, legal counsel, then. She requires legal counsel, and I guess it'll whatever, whatever it will cost whatever ever it will cost. I do note that there was additional adi- additional to that, there was a media consultant hired, which is is clearly nothing to do with the the legal imbroglio. But it, but clearly, it all goes back to the fact that there were allegations of public humiliation, belittling, berating, bullying, uh, which you know you look at this and just shake your head and think, can anybody imagine? Any of this taking place under the previous governor, General David Johnson. I mean, it just seems to have been a poor choice on the part of the Liberal government. It was another shiny object, where they chose somebody who was clearly not suited for this role. And it's just been one thing after another since she's been in power, or uh, since she's been uh, in the in the vice regal position. You know, it was seen seen as. The, I remember talking to people at the time. It was they were so excited that this was such a great opportunity, such a great visual. Such a great image. And it kind of speaks volumes about the government, that they got this so badly wrong when somebody, you know, more steeped in constitutional issues, uh, quieter, somebody who would not ever be subject to allegations Mm of bullying, berating and publicly humiliating staff. So, you know, I mean, you've got to look at the origin of all this. The fact that another amount of public money is being spent to essentially defend the Governor-General, frankly, is neither here
0: nor there. All right. John, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post.
1: The Conservatives continue to want to focus on that. They, they certainly can. But we will stay focused on Canadians while we let committees do their work independently.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail... Robin Urbach argues the Liberals have moved on from the Wee scandal, and they hope voters have too. Urbach writes, Any political strategist worth his or her salt knows that a fire, starved of oxygen, will eventually go out. And a second flame will need time to grow before it can burn with the same ferocity, if it gets there at all. That's what the Prime Minister achieved by proroguing Parliament when the Wee scandal was at its hottest. It's very smart and very scummy politics. And generally speaking, it works. In the Toronto Star, Daniel Raza and Nahid Dosani argue private COVID-19 testing proves we are not all in this together. They write, We may all be in the same stormy seas, but we are not in the same boat. Testing infrastructure is finite. Every test that is allocated to someone who can afford to pay can displace a test for someone who cannot. As the second wave pounds us, privately paid testing services are not bailing out our hardest-hit communities. They are threatening to sink them with bricks. Governments, both federal and provincial, must act. At Policy Options, Ivy Lynn Bourgoe considers the missing voice of women in COVID-19 policy making. Borgo writes... Women remain conspicuously absent from decision-making tables across Canada, despite being disproportionately affected by COVID-19, at work and at home. We are collectively facing one of the greatest existential threats in our lifetime. It is critical to draw upon the experiences, skills and innovative insights of a diverse group of leaders and decision-makers. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. We'll find out today if conservative attempts to revive the investigations into the WE Charity controversy will be successful. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to watch for. Mark, the Finance Committee will be sitting
1: this morning and the Ethics Committee this afternoon. Both committees had been hearing from witnesses and looking into the government's ill-fated choice of the WE Charity to disperse almost a billion dollars in student summer grants. Now, that plan has been scrapped, and so were the committee's investigations when the Prime Minister prorogued Parliament. Now, Tory MPs on the committees are trying to enlist the other opposition members who hold the majority on those committees in a minority parliament to reinstate the investigations. And the Conservatives are hoping to go one step further and further enlist the opposition parties when Parliament returns to support a motion to form a new single anti-corruption committee of the House of Commons to take up the same investigation. Now, so far, the Liberals on both committees sitting today have managed to use procedural tactics to thwart the Tory efforts, and at a press conference on Tuesday, Prime Minister Trudeau upped the ante when he counterattacked, accusing the Tory MPs of wasting time and not serving Canadians' best interests during a worsening pandemic by continuing to pursue the matter. So, Mark, we will have a better idea where the whole matter stands by the end of the day.
0: Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will host a call with provincial and territorial premiers. He'll then take a virtual tour of the Young Hunters program in Arviat, Nunavut, along with Minister of Northern Affairs Dan Vandal. Later, the Prime Minister will take part in a virtual roundtable on housing in Indigenous and Northern communities, followed by a virtual roundtable hosted by Yukon University. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will hold a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault and Northern Affairs Minister Dan Vandal will host a virtual news conference to announce funding in support of Métis Nation Indigenous Languages in Manitoba. Economic Development Minister Mélanie Joly will make an announcement about financial assistance for Développement Économique de l'Agglomération de Languay. Later, she and Treasury Board President Jean-Yves Duclos will announce financial support for Quebec International. Diversity Minister Bartish Chagger will make an announcement and speak with the media from Waterloo, Ontario. Innovation Minister Navdeep Bains and Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will make an announcement about zero-emission energy technology. Minister of Immigration, Marco Mendocino, will make a forestry industry announcement. And the Minister of Middle-Class Prosperity, Mona Fortier, We'll speak about a safer supply project in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics. For Thursday, October the 15th, tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.